Okay. Um, you find what you need there? Uh, we have, uh, we are in, uh, still in Genesis chapter 41. It's a fairly lengthy chapter, and so we're taking about four weeks to get through it. And, uh, Last week, we picked it up in verse 14, and we went down through, <coughs> excuse me, about verse 28. And so today, Lord willing, we'll do verses 29 through about verse 44. Um, so, but again, before we read uh, today's passage... Once you look down through that, uh, particularly the passage we looked at last week or the rest of the chapter, the first part of the chapter, but particularly 14 through 28 and kind of refresh your minds and tell me what you, what we talked about last week that you remember or that stuck out to you or that you need clarification on or whatever. He didn't seem to be afraid of telling this is not a good turn. Or killing him or whatever. What's he going to do? Throw him in jail? <laughs> yeah. But I didn't know how that fit in their day and time and culture. Here's the green now. Is it a good thing or a bad thing? Yeah, you know. I don't think, knowing human nature, I don't think we've ever really liked hearing bad news. And uh, and we tend to want to shoot the messenger <laughs> when we hear... Pardon? Yeah, that's right. He was a, he was a foreigner. But, yeah, I, I, I find that encourage, an encouraging thing about Joseph, both with the... With the uh, with the two officials when he interpreted their dreams, and he was as he was just as bold and straightforward with the with the bad dream as he was with the good dream. And so here with Pharaoh, he's just he's very honest and very open about uh, what he sees. And I think uh, I think probably the reason he does that is because he really believes he's communicating what God wants communicated, and so he's. He's not taking personal responsibility for it, but he's. In fact, he made it very clear. Yeah. God. Yeah. This this is from God, so don't take it out on me. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, Rick, maybe you can speak to something and maybe clarify it. I'm not really sure if there is a real answer, but there. I was reading a commentary this last week, and they point out another difference that I. You may have mentioned. I don't remember. One of the differences between the dreams of the, the Pharaoh's dream was about the country, mm-hmm. whereas the other dreams were about the individuals. Now that's good. Yeah, good point. And, mm-hmm. uh, and I was thinking then afterwards, I was thinking, well, that shows a lot of discernment on Joseph's part. And then I started thinking, well, wait a minute. Was that really discernment on his part, or was this faith, a message he got from God, and understanding he just communicated that? The scripture really doesn't say that God told him this and then he, you know, relayed the information. Mm-hmm. So maybe it's more of discernment and wisdom on his part. 
Well, uh, I, I do think to some degree it's discernment, but it's the discernment that's a gift from God to him. And the reason I say that is because in the passage we're going to look at today, this very subject of discernment comes up. And, and Pharaoh says, you know, I, I need a man of, well, uh, uh, first Joseph says, you need to choose a man of discernment and wisdom. And then Pharaoh says, well, you're the guy with discernment and wisdom. So, so uh, I, I, you know, I, I, don't, I don't get the sense from reading it. And of course, it's hard to know exactly how God made things clear to him. But I don't get the sense that he was standing there before Pharaoh and he suddenly had this kind of voice in his head from God. But I think God just impressed him and gave him the discernment and the wisdom to see this. But he recognizes and acknowledges that that was from God and it was not something of himself. I think it's kind of like, and I hope we can kind of explore this a little bit today, I think it's kind of like the way spiritual gifts work even today. When we see spiritual gifts working in someone, we don't... We don't normally think in terms of, you know, they're just kind of standing there as kind of a robot and God just kind of comes in and moves their arms and legs. But rather that God works through them and gives them the the wisdom and the understanding and the skills to do the kind of things that they do. And it's very it's very difficult to distinguish or draw some kind of line between their personal abilities and this empowerment from God. But but. Uh, that very clearly is what's going on there as God's accomplishing those things. So, what else? Well, we have circumstances that change quickly, that can certainly change very quickly. Yeah. And just a dramatic, but the part that is also really an application of that. It's God, you went to bed that night, and while Pharaoh was dreaming, he had no idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and we, and we talked about this kind of the suddenness with which Joseph's situation changes. How he. Now, one moment he's just in prison. He's been in prison for years. He's just doing the things that he normally does in prison. His prison duties are respond, and it's just it's just a normal day. He gets up, and it's just a day like any other day. And by the end of the day, he's standing in the presence of Pharaoh, and he's honored and robed, and you know, signet ring and gold chain, and the whole nine yards. And it all just happens in one day. Just suddenly happens, and and. And we reflected on the we reflected on the fact that God is able to do that in our lives, but that He doesn't always do that in our lives, right? But the encouragement comes from realizing that He can do that, that He that that God is powerful enough and is strong enough and great enough that He can take our difficult situations and he can just in a, in a moment in a, in a very brief period of time he can just turn it completely around uh, to the better and the encouragement comes not in thinking that God will do that in every situation in our life but the encouragement comes in realizing that God can do that in every situation in our life so that in so that in those situations where he's going to of course that's obviously encouraging 
but it can be encouraging to us even in the situations where he doesn't turn things on a dime because we know he's able to. And if we know he's able to and he doesn't, then we know he hasn't for a reason. Did that make sense? <laughs> he, so, so if my situation does not change when I know that God is able to change it, then I know that he has left my situation the way it is for some higher good, some higher purpose that he has. And, uh, and so that in itself can be a tremendous encouragement and help to us, I think. I, of course, I, what I always prefer is I prefer my situation to always change for the better and always to change suddenly for the better. Let's get this thing over with and let's get on greater, higher, better things. But God, if he chooses not to do that, has in fact chosen not to do that for reasons that are not only good for him, but good for me and good for everybody around me as well, right? Well, the other part of that is the timing. Because we know he did, God didn't do that for years for a reason. Mm-hmm. Because he was preparing judgment. And it hadn't been a situation. Yes. He had been humble. He had been trained. He learned Egyptian culture. And like all the things you talked about, he was part of the town. Yeah. For that so there were all the things that God was doing in Joseph's life in all those years. But then there were all the other things that he was doing, the things he was doing uh, in the life of, of Judah and, and, uh, and Tamar and all those other things that God was doing. And, so, and those are things that, that Joseph didn't see. And there are many things that are going on in our situations that we don't see. I don't know. As, as I'm going through the experiences that God leads me through, as you're going through the experiences that God leads you through, you don't see or know all the things. You don't realize all the things that God is doing in your life. Nor are you really aware of all the other things that God is doing in other people's situations and other people's lives to ultimately bring them to some kind of a climax at some point in the future. So it's a, just a good thing when it comes right down to it that we're not God. <laughs> <laughs> that God is God and that God calls the shots and that God sets the time of our the times of our lives the way he does. So another thing where you talked about related to that was that Joseph was ready and remained faithful so that when the time came and that so well wait a minute, you know, give me give me some time here, I've got a chance to give that right. He was ready to step on in. And over and over his character and that's just the character that's the habit of his life and so so it really is it really is pretty amazing if, I, if I'd been you know I don't you know it's always easy to say if I had been but if I had been in Joseph's place you know in prison and then all of a sudden I found myself standing in front of Pharaoh I think I would have been stuttering and stammering and going, uh, uh, give me a couple of days to pray about this. You know? <laughs> but he doesn't do it. He's just, he is so ready to be used of God that he's thrust into that place and as soon as the question is asked, he's right there ready to give an answer. And it's just because, it's just because uh, two things. One, of course, is that God is working in him and through him. But the other thing is that he has... He has habituated making himself available to God and letting God use him in whatever situation. Yeah. I just have a comment. We have to remember that he wasn't like that as he did. Okay. Okay. But it, was, it, it was a change of heart because originally, as he was growing up, as a 
Yeah, certainly. He's gone through a process. And, and that's the whole point of this 13 years of slavery and imprisonment is that God is shaping and building his character to make him ready for that. Yeah. Anything else from our previous lesson? Yeah. We don't know. Yeah, we don't know how he practiced his faith during those years. I'm sure it was somewhat restricted, somewhat limited in what he could do, obviously. Uh, he couldn't you know, build altars and offer sacrifices and the kinds of things that his father had done and his grandfather had done. Uh, he couldn't do those kind of things. Uh, so, uh, so we really don't know how he practiced his faith. And, and I think to some degree that's instructive to me because here's a guy who's in a very kind of restricted environment. He can only do so much. And yet somehow, at least internally, he continues to walk by faith, even though he's not externally able to do some of the things that we would normally associate with worshiping and, and following God. So, so you know, that really is something to ponder and think about. Well, let's pick up the story then in uh, uh, verse 29. And as I mentioned last week, <clears throat> we really kind of broke right in the middle of Joseph's interpretation just uh, because we were covering, uh, trying to cover so much material. So we had to kind of <clears throat> break right in the middle of the interpretation. So we're picking it up again. Uh, and Joseph has given kind of the basic uh, framework, the kind of the two, uh, two pillars, if you will, of his interpretation, which are that God has spoken to you regarding the future. And he says that twice to Pharaoh. He says, God has spoken to you regarding the future. And then the second pillar is this is one dream. And he says this twice to Pharaoh. He says it is one dream uh, translated uh, in our translation, in New American translation, translated one and the same. But in the Hebrew, he just says, it's just one one dream. OK, and that's important to the understanding of what's being communicated of the messages being communicated. And uh, so he's told him that and he is told him that the uh, seven cows and the seven the, the seven uh, fat cows and the seven thin cows and the seven uh, full heads of grain and the seven parts heads of grain they all represent seven years okay uh, or two sets of seven we could say and so that is what he said uh, to Pharaoh so far and then reemphasized again to him that God has spoken to him about what he is about uh, what God is about to do. And then picking it up in verse 29, it says, Behold, seven years of great abundance are coming in all the land of Egypt. And after them, seven years of famine will come and all the abundance will be forgotten in the land of Egypt and the famine will ravage the land. So the abundance will be unknown in the land because of that subsequent famine, for it will be very severe. Now, as for the repeating of the dream to Pharaoh twice, it means that the matter is determined by God and God will quickly bring it about. Now let Pharaoh look for a man discerning and wise and let set him over all the land of Egypt. 
Let Pharaoh take action to appoint overseers in charge of the land and let him exact a fifth of the produce of the land of Egypt in the seven years of abundance. Then let them gather all the food of these good years that are coming and store up the grain for food in the cities under Pharaoh's authority and let them guard it. Let the food become as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine that will occur in the land of Egypt so that the land will not perish during the famine. Now the proposal seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his servants. Then Pharaoh said to his servants, Can we find a man like this in whom is a divine spirit? So Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since God has informed you of all this, there is no one so discerning and wise as you are. You shall be over my house, and according to your command, all my people shall do homage. Uh, <coughs> shall do homage. Only in the throne will I be greater than you. Pharaoh said to Joseph, See, I have set you over all the land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took off his signet ring from his hand and put it on Joseph's hand and clothed him in garments of fine linen and put the gold necklace around his neck. And he had him ride in his second chariot and they proclaimed before him, Bow the knee. And he set him over all the land of Egypt. Moreover, Pharaoh said to Joseph, Though I am Pharaoh, yet without your permission, no one shall raise his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt. Okay? Well, just picking up the interpretation then again in, in verse 29, he's uh, set out kind of the basic framework of the interpretation. Uh, and then he picks it up uh, with uh, explaining what the meaning of the sevens are. And, and because Joseph understands that what really kind of on the surface appear to be two dreams is really one dream or one message from God, Joseph understands and is able to discern and interpret for Pharaoh that what he's looking at here are not actually four sets of sevens, but only two sets of sevens. Okay, so he doesn't have a set of cows, a set of fat cows, a set of thin cows, a set of, uh, of uh, full heads and a set of thin heads as representing four distinct sets of seven, but because they're one dream, they overlap and he only has two sets of sevens. I expect, uh, it's not really clear, but I expect this was probably part of the confusion uh, on the part of the other magicians and the, or the magicians and the priests and the wise men that Pharaoh consulted. They couldn't sort all this out because they didn't understand that this was one dream. It was an overlapping message. Okay? But Joseph understands that and so he recognizes that the seven fat cows and the seven fat, uh, full heads of grain are representing the same thing. And the seven thin cows and the seven parched heads of grain are representing the same thing. Joseph sees that, he discerns that, he understands that, and uh, so he's able to explain to Pharaoh then that, that what this all means is that there are coming seven abundant years of harvest in the land of Egypt. And, and this, he, he says, uh, he calls it in, in verse 29, he calls it a great abundance. And when we look at the passage that we're going to look at next week, uh, we're going to see how great that abundance is. That abundance was so great that they actually they couldn't even 
they started counting it. They started keeping track of it. But it actually got so great that they just couldn't even keep track of it anymore. And as we go on in the story, we'll see that that this abundance is so huge that in the seven years of famine, they are not only able to feed all of Egypt during the seven years of famine when Egypt is not growing any crops, but they are also able to feed all the other nations around them as they come and they purchase grain from Egypt. So it's really pretty hard to imagine how massive and how great this abundance was uh, that that occurs during these seven years. But when Joseph says to Pharaoh, it's going to be a great abundance, he really means a great abundance. Okay, this is going to be something probably unparalleled in the experience of the Egyptian people, the amount of abundance that they're going to experience during those seven years. Now, the problem is when you have when you have a, a, a great year of abundance and then you have another year after that and you have another year after that and then you have another year after that, what do you start thinking? This is the norm, folks. This is the way it's always going to be, okay? But the dream tells us otherwise. And Joseph says, okay, you're going to have these great years of abundance, but then followed by that, you're going to have the seven years of famine. And he talks about the famine ravaging the land, and he talks about this famine being very severe. And, and how does he indicate how severe the famine will be? What's... What's indicative of how severe the famine is? Okay, this great, remarkable abundance that they're going to experience for seven years is going to be completely forgotten. Now, what was it in Pharaoh's dreams that clues Joseph into that? How does Joseph know that? Okay, yeah, that was, remember last week we talked about Pharaoh, as he tells his dream, he has a couple uh, commentary, little remarks about his dream, things that he reflected on about his dream. And one of the things that Pharaoh noticed is that when the gaunt cows ate the fat cows, it could not be detected that they'd eaten them uh, because they were as gaunt and as ugly as they had been before, Pharaoh says. And so this, of course, uh, indicates to Joseph that... uh, that these years of famine are going to be so great, so intense, that it's going to totally consume all that great abundance that occurred in the prior seven years. Yeah, yeah. And so the implication, of course, is this is a famine. This is a famine like we have never seen in Egypt. We've never seen anything like this. And in fact, uh, and in fact, he says there's going to be a famine come over all the earth. Okay. So at least all the all the known world then around Egypt was going to experience a famine of this magnitude. Okay. And so this is the interpretation of the dream that uh, that that uh, Joseph gives and then then he addresses the issue of the repetition of the dream. The fact that Pharaoh dreamed the same dream twice, okay? And what was the significance of the repetition? Okay, the come quickly was part of it. What was the other part? 
that it was established by God. Okay, so the the repetition, the fact that he had this twice, is telling uh, is is telling Pharaoh, this is something that God has established. This is something that God is doing. Okay, and it's something that's going he's going to bring about quickly. Okay, so so what he's what he's saying to Pharaoh is. The repetition of the dream means there's no doubt about this, Pharaoh. There's no ifs about this. This is going to happen. This is, be, this is something that God has determined. There's no, there's no way to avoid this. There's no way to prevent this thing from happening. You can't go out and dig canals and things and, and somehow avoid this famine. There's, there's no way to avoid both the years of abundance and the years of famine. This is something that God has determined. But then also the repetition means that it is something that God is going to do quickly. In other words, you're staring down this double-barreled shotgun right now, okay? You're looking at it right now. You are now right on the threshold of the beginning of the seven years of abundance. So you really don't have any time to procrastinate. You don't have any time to think this through. You can't, you know, you can't form some kind of committee to figure out, you know, how you're going to deal with this situation. This is something you're staring at right now and you need to take action on it right now. Okay, that's the implication of it. But one of the things that puzzled me as I as I read this, that that Joseph is Joseph is hearing Pharaoh tell him about two dreams that were different in some respects, but clearly communicating the same message. They are essentially one dream, he says. And that Joseph, looking at Pharaoh's dreams that are a dream, understands that the repetition of that message, the repeating of that message twice, he says, communicates the certainty that God is doing this and there's no avoiding it and the immediacy of the situation. That's how Joseph understands the repetition of a dream is to be interpreted. Right? You know what he says? Does that raise any questions in your mind? Yeah. Joseph's first dreams. Now, I don't know when Joseph discovered this principle of interpretation. But it's clear, at least by this point, that Joseph understands the interpretation of a dream means, or the repetition of a dream in which God is communicating means two things. It means the certainty of it, and it means the immediacy of it. So, if you are Joseph, and you have had the dreams that Joseph has had, how do you view that? Okay. You know, the more we think about these dreams of Joseph and think about all that he went through and then think about this, even this thing that we're talking about right now, that verse in Psalms just takes on more and more meaning, doesn't it? That until the word of the Lord came to pass, the word of the Lord tested him. And, and I don't know 
how long Joseph has known that the repetition of a dream means its certainty and its immediacy. But I can't help but think that as he's standing there before Pharaoh and he's saying to Pharaoh, Pharaoh, the repetition of your dream means this. I cannot help but think that in the back of his mind, he's thinking, I had two dreams. And those two dreams were one dream. God repeated that to me. Now, in Joseph's dream, what was the kind of the crux of Joseph's dream? What was the basic message of Joseph's dream? Okay, that he was in some way going to rule over or have dominion over his brothers and his parents. Now, he got those dreams and Joseph now, looking back on those dreams, recognizes that that was God and I think he believed that even at the time, that that was God saying that to him, hence the certainty of it. But it was also God's way of saying, this is immediate. This is happening now. Well, what happened right after he got those dreams? Did his parents bow down to him? Did his brothers bow down to him? They were jealous. They hated him. They stripped him of his garment. They threw him in a pit. They sold him into slavery. And what I'm trying to suggest to you, in a roundabout way maybe, what I'm trying to suggest to you, that when we get to the part of the story late in Genesis, and we get to the part of the story where, where Joseph says to his brothers, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. I don't think that that is a... That, I don't think that's something that just dawned on Joseph at that point. I think Joseph believed that the repetition of his dream meant that God was already acting to accomplish this. And that whatever these circumstances are, how bleak and how dark these circumstances are, and how much affliction he has to go to, and he, de- he, doesn't, he doesn't look lightly on this. He calls it his affliction next week we're going to see that, that he names one of his sons. Uh, he names one of his sons Ephraim, which means uh, God has made me fruitful in the land of my affliction. And so this whole 13 years has been an affliction to him. And Egypt represents affliction to him. But through all that affliction, it seems to me apparent that Joseph somehow like Abraham hoped against hope, that somehow God was already working to fulfill this dream that He had given to him. And I can't help but think that in Joseph's mind, as he's standing there and he's explaining to Pharaoh what the repetition of a dream means, I can't help but think that in the back of mind, to Joseph's mind, he's thinking, well, it must mean that for me too. That through all of this that I've been going through, it's part of God fulfilling that thing that He said He was going to do. Because He's 
Because the repetition of the dream means it's immediate. That God is already doing it. Well, uh, so then after he explains the repetition of the, the meaning of the repetition of the dream, then what does he do? Yeah, that kind of jumps out to me too. He just he just kind of just slides right into advising Pharaoh, you know. He just kind of just moves right into it, and I go, "Is he being presumptuous there?" Yeah, I mean, I don't know anything about I don't, I don't know anything about the court of Pharaoh. You know, I don't know what's appropriate, what's you know, I don't know what's protocol and what isn't protocol. But Joseph seems to have no hesitation whatsoever. I mean, he doesn't miss a lick. He just he's got the interpretation and and he just slides right into the advice. Okay, this this Pharaoh is what you ought to do. In light of this is what God has said to you, this is what you ought to do. Pardon? Exactly. I think it's not just his personality, I think it's his gift. This is this is this is the way uh this is the way God has equipped this man. Okay? Is he's obviously, he's an administrator, right? I mean, that's clear. It was clear when he worked for Daddy. It was clear when he worked for Potiphar. And it's clear when he worked for the chief jailer. He just, he just, when he sees a problem, and as soon as he sees a problem, his mind, inspired by the Holy Spirit, his mind immediately begins to figure out the solution to the problem or the way to address the problem. This is just the way Joseph is. And so to him, it just makes perfect sense once you've explained the problem to go on and say, well, this is the solution because that's the way his mind works because that's the way God has made his mind work. Yes, Gary? It also makes it a lot easier to present a bad story to Pharaoh if you've got a solution to go along with it. I mean, you talk about killing the messenger. Uh huh. It makes it a lot easier. Oh yeah. If you got some way to, to ameliorate the problem, yeah, that's a good point. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. And here's how we're gonna here's how we're gonna solve it. Yeah. Now, now we don't all have that gift, do we? Some of us are not good administrators, you know. We're good at seeing problems, you know. And thankfully, God puts around us administrators that can figure out how to solve the problem. But, but that's just that's just one of Joseph's strengths that he has that God has given to him, and he recognizes that God has given to him is this ability not only to see the problem but to figure out a way to deal with the problem. And he's done it. We did it at home with Dad, and he's done it in Potiphar's house, and he's done it in jail with the chief jailer. And because of that, he's continually put over these positions. He's given these positions of responsibility. Okay. And so it's kind of fun. It's kind of exciting because, because here with Joseph, for the first time, we actually see his gift at work. We haven't seen that before. We've only seen that others have seen it. So we saw how his, his father gave him responsibility and, and and, and delegated responsibility to him. But we never, in that story, we never really saw much about what, what Joseph actually did that 
that indicated to his father he could handle those situations other than when he came and tattled on his brothers. But then when we get to Potiphar's house, and, we just, and in, in Potiphar's house, once again, we just see that Potiphar saw something. It doesn't really tell us what specifically Potiphar saw, but he saw things in Joseph and he elevated him to this position. Uh, he, he clearly under, Potiphar clearly understood it was God's presence with him and God working through him. But what specific he saw, we don't know. And then again, in jail, when he's thrown in jail, we don't know what kind of things Joseph did that clued in the chief jailer that this guy is, you know, has God's presence with him and has God's wisdom and has this gift of administration and ought to put him in charge of the jail. We don't know. So here's the first time we actually see Joseph's gift at work. All right? And it's kind of cool to see. Yeah, go ahead. The question that came to my mind was, I wondered if he had any idea when he offered that advice well, we'll get to that. We'll get to that in just a minute because that's a good question and we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to just stop and think for a second about, about this idea of, of people who are gifted. Now, when I talk about people who are gifted, you're probably thinking about somebody else, aren't you? But I'm talking about you. I mean, if you're, if you're a believer... If you have been saved, if you have the indwelling Holy Spirit in you, you are gifted. Now, you may not have the gift of administration like Joseph had. You may have some other gift. But you are gifted. And what is striking to us about Joseph is that in every situation he finds himself, when he's home with daddy, when he's a slave in Potiphar's house, when he's a prisoner in jail, in whatever situation he's in, he does not hesitate to exercise his gift. What about you? Are you being faithful, as we have seen Joseph faithful over all these years, are you being faithful to exercise the gifts that God has given to you. Now, we spent a lot of time in the last 20 or 30 years in evangelical churches, we spent a lot of time talking about people trying to figure out their gifts and how do you know what your gifts are, okay, and that sort of thing. And, and that's another whole issue, okay, that's another whole well, I have. We won't even go into that. But, but, but I personally have the conviction that figuring out what your gift is is not as hard as we sometimes make it out to be. And I don't think you have to do all kinds of psychological pop psychology tests and things like that to figure out what your gifts are. I think if you are being faithful to God, if you're walking with the Lord, if you're walking by faith, if you're spending time in the Word, if you're spending time around the people of God, and you're allowing God to exercise your heart to care for others you will find out what your gift is. Now, there's probably more to it than that, but I don't think it's as hard as we make it out to be. And I think that oftentimes the reason people act like they don't know or think they don't know what their gift is is because they really are not making any concerted effort to be a ministry and a blessing and a help to others. They're just living self-centered lives. And if we live a self-centered life, obviously we're never going to dawn on us what our gift is. 
But to the point that we are responsing, being responsive to God and responsive to the promptings of the Holy Spirit in us, I think our gifts will surface. Whatever those gifts are. So if your gift is, uh, if your gift is service and, and you're just responsive to the Holy Spirit and, 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 the, and you're spending time with God and you're spending time in prayer and you're reading your Bible and you're fellowshipping with believers and if your gift is service... When an opportunity to serve pops up, you know, you're just the natural prompting of the Holy Spirit will be in you to do that, to serve. If your gift is to, to teach and you see an opportunity to do that, you see an opportunity to explain God's Word to somebody or to a group of people and the opportunity is there and you're responsive to the Lord and you're walking in fellowship with Him and you see that need and then the Holy Spirit will prompt you to speak and to address that need. If your gift is giving and you see a financial need, the Holy Spirit is going to move in you and He's going to prompt you. So I, I just don't think it's as hard as we make it out to be. And I think oftentimes it becomes difficult for us to figure out what our gifts are because we're really not really trying to be a ministry and a blessing to others. And we're not really walking in fellowship with God. But I think when we do when we do walk with God, that we are going to find Him prompting us and moving us and equipping us to do the things that we need to do. And it is interesting to me that with Joseph, we don't find Joseph trying to do a lot of other things that he couldn't do. What we find Joseph always doing is seeing problems and solving problems. Okay, That's what we see Joseph doing. That's what God led him to do. And it's kind of an exciting thing to see in the life of Joseph. Okay, well, so uh, so then the question comes up, which which uh, I think Ron just brought up a minute ago. So so Joseph now just uh, he he slides into this uh, in, into this interpretation, or excuse me, into this uh, uh, advice that he's going to give to Pharaoh, and. And the first thing he recommends is what? Act okay, act immediately to what? Okay, you need to appoint a famine czar. <laughs> right? Okay, you need to appoint you need to appoint a famine czar. You need to appoint somebody to to handle this thing, and this person's got to be somebody with discernment and wisdom. And and the question, uh, you know, that Ron brings up is, okay, is is Joseph being a little self-promoting here? Is he, you know, is is he realizing, you know, uh, this is my chance, you know, so I'm going to describe a job and describe a resume and my resume is going to fit that job. And this is my way to get out of prison. And, you know, is that what's going on here? Why not? Okay, okay. I agree. The the pattern we see in the life of Joseph is that is that when he's in a place 
of service to someone, what he's really preoccupied with is not promoting himself, but serving the prosperity of the person under whose authority he sits. Right? So when he's at home, he wasn't trying to promote himself. He was trying to promote dad and dad's business. Okay? And... And, and when he was in Potiphar's house, he wasn't trying to promote himself. He was trying to make Potiphar successful. And when he was in prison, you know, he, he wasn't trying to make himself chief jailer. He was trying to make the chief jailer successful. Okay? This is the, this is the habit of his life. He's not a self-promoter. Yeah, go ahead. Even if he wanted to self-promote himself, his resume before Pharaoh is he's a no-name slave. <laughs> Yeah. Well, he's, but he's got wisdom and discernment, and that's because Pharaoh happened to notice because God was working. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's true. My next line would have been, "And Pharaoh, here's what I'm going to do for you. Here's what I can do for you." Yeah. Yeah. Well, in all honesty, you know what I think, because I believe that I believe that Joseph saw what needed to be done and he had the gift of administration I think when when Joseph began to give his advice to Pharaoh he's thinking in the back of his head I could do this I, I mean there's no way around I mean I just I just know Joseph is thinking I could do this but I don't think Joseph is promoting himself here I think Joseph is just thinking this is what Pharaoh needs to do he needs to find somebody I could do it but he's not promoting himself here he's thinking Joseph Pharaoh just needs to find somebody with wisdom and discernment to put in this place. Does it sound like with his comment, he's actually already thought down the road about how he would plan this out. So I've thought this through, and Pharaoh, here's what you need. Yeah. Yeah. And I agree with that statement, but I would just add this, that the thinking through came virtually instantaneously. I mean, it was clearly God was just giving him this wisdom as he stood in front of Pharaoh. It, he didn't give the interpretation and take a couple of days and come back with his advice. It's right while he was standing there. And so, so I, I don't question the fact that Joseph sensed that he knew what could be done and he knew he could do the job. But I don't believe for a minute that Joseph was being in any way self-promoting or self-serving. So, Sure. And if he was in prison, he'd be one of the first ones to starve to death. That's right. Yeah. So, 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 at any rate, he he gives his advice, and he recommends not only the appointment of a, you know, a famine czar, if you will, but he recommends also the appointment of these overseers over the land to to collect the tax of twenty percent, and. Uh, and uh, to store it and to care for it and to guard it and all that sort of thing. And then it says of Pharaoh that Pharaoh saw the wisdom of Joseph's proposal and so did all of his servants. And, And so he says to his servants, he says, Where can we find a man like this who has a divine spirit? So he recognizes that this is going to take somebody gifted by God. It's not that he knows or acknowledges Jehovah in any sense, but he recognizes that there's got to be, that this person's got to have some special gift from God 
to accomplish this massive undertaking that's never been done before in history. Okay. And uh, so, so he asked his servants. And the implication there is that in asking his servants that when he concludes there is no one other than Joseph, that his servants are, are concur with that. That they go, well, you know, I don't know where you're going to find anybody other than this guy right here. And what strikes me about this is it seems like we, now we have all these really supposed great wise men, the advisors to Pharaoh, the magicians, the high priests, all these highfalutin officials, and, and they've all, of course, failed to give the right interpretation to the dream. They couldn't figure out what the dream meant. And so they're sitting there a little bamboozled by that. And then Joseph comes up from prison and he says, OK, this is what it means and this is what you ought to do. And all these wise people are standing around. Now, in a normal political environment, what would they be thinking? They want, the job. they want the job. They want the job. How can I get this job? You know. But they don't do that. It it, it seems from the way the story's told here that that they just recognize this is over my head. And and what's profound to me there is that God has just made His presence in the life of Pharaoh so ob or life of Joseph so obvious. And the wisdom of God that's been imbued into Joseph is so conspicuous that all these self-serving, you know, position grabbers around Pharaoh just kind of step back and go, this is the guy. And so Pharaoh says, he says to Joseph, he says, you are the one. You're the one since God has told you all this stuff. You're obviously the one with the wisdom and discernment to do this job. So another thing, if you think about it, the, the interpretations make sense, but the fact that Pharaoh immediately believed it, and that's one thing, but I'm thinking, okay, if I believe it, am I going to turn around and just state everything on the fact that this guy's right and I don't even know who he is? I mean, it had to be God. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, I mean, Pharaoh sits here and makes him basically an equal just on the spur of the moment yeah. on the assumption that he's right. That was also one of the Pharaoh is but they all work Yes. So, I was just wondering, you know, why would Pharaoh believe all of this all of a sudden, you know, who's this guy? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, well, that is a good question and I think, I think, uh, well, clearly the answer is, as Mike pointed out, you know, the Lord is the Lord has moved in their hearts. The king's heart is in the Lord's hands like channels of water, the scripture says, and he directs it wherever he will. And so clearly that's what what uh, what is happening here. But but in one sense, it's not a lot like the situation with Moses. When Moses comes before Pharaoh, uh, uh, 400 years later, 450 years later, and Moses comes before Pharaoh, and and there's this contest between Moses and the and the magicians, and they can do some of the stuff, but they can't do all of the stuff, and it's as if to say Moses's God is bigger than your God. Okay, and to some degree, we've had the same situation here. They've been unable to interpret this dream that's clearly from God, and but Joseph has been able to, so clearly Joseph's God is greater. You mentioned a couple of weeks ago that. The reason it was such an apparent 
dream wasn't discernible by them because God had cast the blinders on them. Yeah, yeah. And when he said, when he said the things he said, it's like the blinders came out. Oh, I think so too. Because to us, when we read it, it goes, well, this makes sense, you know? Yeah, I think you're right. And I think to some degree that's what happened. They go, oh, well, of course, you know? Why didn't we see that? Yeah. Well, they have a little bit of a problem too promoting themselves if they already failed. Yeah. Openly, yeah. Turn out okay. Now yeah. Get it. Now let's, yeah. Yeah. That's true. They already yeah. in a position where they had messed yeah. up, or at least not been able to handle the situation. Yeah. So now we have Pharaoh's choice of Joseph, and then we have the investiture ceremony. And and Joseph, uh, Pharaoh says to Joseph, "I'm appointing you over my house." And everybody will do homage to you. And then he he takes off his ring and he puts the ring on his finger, uh, the signet ring, and he puts he dresses him in fine linen, and he places the gold chain around his neck. And we come to that final episode in the life of Joseph. We've had these repeated incidences with his clothing, the the coat of uh, coat of many colors or the regal coat or whatever that his father gave to him and then the removal of the coat and then and then his promotion in Potiphar's house and then the loss of his cloak in Potiphar's house and then he's in prison and then when he comes out of prison he's he just puts on normal clean clothes to go before Pharaoh but then he gets before Pharaoh and he has finally the regal garments the garments of ruling and and so finally we see we see, the, even though it's going to be another nine years before all this falls into place, we see finally that, that God has now, after all these transitions in the life of Joseph, God has taken Joseph and now placed him in that position that he first promised him he would be in when he gave him those dreams. And so now he's in this position. Now in Joseph, just in the last couple minutes here, in Joseph, we see a couple things that are, I think, instructive to us. One commentator particularly has pointed out that, that in some ways, Joseph to us is a reminder of Adam. You know, huh? <laughs> he didn't remind me of Adam. But in some sense, he's a reminder to us of Adam before the fall. That here we have Adam and Joseph is, Joseph is appointed over Egypt. He's, he's appointed this great vizier or prime minister or vice regent over all of Egypt. He rules over all. Nothing happens in Egypt without his authority. Okay. Well, that's the way Adam was before the fall, right? God gave Adam vice regency over all of creation. He said, I'm going to put you over all of creation and you are, uh, you are responsible uh, over all of creation and you're responsible to tend the garden, etc. Et and the reason that God could do this with Adam is because of Adam's remarkable wisdom and discernment. God had given to him all this wisdom so that he was able to name all the animals and understand you know, what was unique about them and give them appropriate names and all that sort of thing. And so we see in, and we see in Adam this, this vice regency and this great 
uh, wisdom and the glory and honor that the Scripture speaks of that God has bestowed upon man. He's given him glory and honor and made him a little lower than the angels, etc. Okay. We see all that in Adam. Now, in Joseph, we see the same thing. We see a man who is given vice regency over all the land of Egypt. And he's given that vice regency because he's, he's uniquely designed to do that job. And he has the wisdom and he has the discernment. Uh, to do that. And it's interesting that we even see in Adam, God brings a wife and gives Adam a wife. And we're going to see next week that, God, that Pharaoh brings a wife to, jo- to uh, Joseph. And so there are these interesting parallels between the life of Joseph and Adam. And what's striking to me about Joseph as we think about him as a, as a reminder to us of Adam is that Joseph is in one sense an example to us of how we can live Adam-like in a fallen world. Yeah, all this vice regency and et cetera that's given to Adam is given to him before the fall. The question is, how do, how do we live in the fallen world and still carry out the Adamic mandate? Okay? And Joseph is an example for us of how we do that. But even more profoundly than an example of Adam, Jesus, uh, uh, Joseph is for us a picture of Christ. Because here we have a man who goes through remarkable suffering in order that he might act as a redeemer on the behalf of his brethren. And because he goes through this suffering in order to act as a redeemer, he is ultimately elevated to a position of glory and honor. And he is given all authority over all the land. And when all is said and done, that authority ultimately belongs to Pharaoh. And this is an example to us of Jesus, isn't it? One who has, who has himself gone through all this suffering and endured all of this suffering. And has, has gone through this suffering in order that he might act as our Redeemer. But because he has gone through that suffering, he is now qualified to be exalted to have authority over all the heavens and all the earth. And yet Paul tells us in Corinthians that when all things are subjected to Him, He will turn around and subject that to the Father. And so in Joseph, we see a picture both of the first Adam and we see a picture of the second Adam. Okay? Well, next week we'll go on and see what happens next in the life of Joseph.